Hello, I'm Annie Ridout, author, journalist, poet, and host of this podcast, Home, where I interview women about where they were born and raised, where they live now, and what home means to them. Today, I'm speaking with Java Bere, writer, illustrator, table stylist, and podcast host. We talk about her childhood, which involved lots of movement, including living abroad for long periods twice, about having itchy feet in her adult years and what she did about that, and then about where she lives now, what keeps her rooted there, and how she and her partner John create a sense of home for themselves and their young family now. Welcome, Java, to this podcast on home. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here, Annie. Uh, and so to start I would love to hear a bit about where you were born and raised so I was born in London um my first year was around Portobello uh, my mum had just got back from Indonesia hence my name Java it's the Indonesian island um and um her and my dad they kind of they'd had a bit of a fling it wasn't really like a, a big relationship but they gave it a go um, and then I think after about a year or so, I think it was very clear that it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna go anywhere. And my mum was really young. She was about, I think she was 21 when she had me and she was hell bent on having as many adventures as she possibly could. Um, and that wasn't really my dad's approach to life. So um, she had a cousin who lived in the South of France in a caravan in the middle of a field. Um, so she just, I think she got in touch with Michael and said, I'm bringing Java out with me. We're gonna come and live with you for a bit. So I must have been around two. We went off to the south of France um, and the three of us lived in this caravan with a frog in the toilet. And um, I think after a while it maybe got a little bit cramped and my mum met a local farmer and they started a relationship. So we went to live with him on his farm and he also had a tabla dot. Um, so he would host, uh, host at the weekends and people from the village would come. And so that was kind of a big, it was a very sociable, even though it was remote and rural, it was very sociable. And then that relationship didn't work out. So then we moved to um, this woman called Peggy. She had a goat farm and it was also uh, a place for rehabilitation for ex-drug addicts to come and work on the goat farm and help grow. Um, and it was really, really basic, incredibly basic. Like, I think a lot of the, there weren't, there wasn't glass in a lot of the windows. Um, but it was perfect for a kid to just run around and have freedom, really, and get how to How old know. would you? Sorry, so how I old? Have, I think I was probably about three, four then. I think we were there for like a couple of years. And mum had started trying to buy, to buy a building there for us to live in. And then because of family stuff, she ended up having to come back to the UK and, um, and kind of setting home back up in London. Um, I think it was all quite overwhelming for her and you know she was broke she didn't have any money um she's single mom so while she was getting back onto her feet on in london she sent me up to live in scotland when i was about five so because my grandmother her mother lives lived up there so i went up to live in quite kind of suburban conservative northeast scotland um for a couple of years which was a huge difference um while my mum carried on in london so I was there for a couple of years and I really loved it. I really loved in a way the kind of the sense of order and security that was quite different to what I'd experienced living like in South of France. And um, I liked routine um, and all of the, the different trappings uh, that came with that. So I was there and I was really happy. And I think I, 
I still really loved the rural aspect of it. It was, it was suburban, but quite rural still. And we'd go out hill walking every weekend. And so nature was still a really big part of, of my life and just kind of what I got used to. Um, and so I really wanted my mum to move up to Scotland with me, but she was she she was like entrenched in London and she'd set up a business there selling vintage clothes and she'd met her new partner. So eventually my grandmother didn't want to give me back. So they came up one weekend and essentially kidnapped me, saying that they were taking me to Blackpool for the weekend and they just didn't take me back up. So I must have been about seven by that point. And um, we moved to Kilburn, um, just off Kilburn High Road. And um, I really, really struggled with that transition, really, really struggled because I think I just kind of felt like I was, it's that age as well, isn't it? Like six, seven, you're starting to really establish friendships and what it is that you like. And London just felt really daunting, I think, to me, um, which is so you'd hard. Started, Pardon? You'd started at school in Scotland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd started because in France, I'd just been nursery, whereas Scotland, I'd started at school yeah. and it was, I guess, a smaller school and then moving to to is it High, Kingsgate, Kingsgate School in Kilburn. It was very different. It was great, like an absolutely amazing school, but it was just, you know, it was a lot of adjustment really. Um, and I was really yearning, pining for Scotland. And I think because we'd already moved quite a bit by that point, I think I was just feeling a little bit fed up, just like, I just want to be somewhere where I know that I'm going to know my friends for more than a couple of years. And there's just going to be some stability and I can kind of plan things and expect things. Um, and so I just kind of got into that feeling after a couple of years in London and I'd made really, really great friends. And it was kind of like one of my first, you know, in childhood, you kind of often have like these big loves, the first friendships that really form who you are and you kind of start to identify things in each other that are really meaningful. And then my mum announced that we're moving to Spain. <laughs> so, so I was at eight by this point. I was so, so like, why why and she was trying she was really trying to like get me excited about it and it was exciting you know it was like this whole other adventure but I I did just feel and that's probably also just my temperament and my nature is that I kind of do like to have a sense of 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 stability Mm. um so that was so that was hard that was really hard but looking back I'm incredibly grateful incredibly grateful that she did that for me because she gave me a whole experience of life from you know from a really young age and several more languages that I wouldn't have otherwise so you know I really I feel incredibly privileged to have had that experience Mm. um so yes I think it was we were about I was eight going on nine when we we didn't know where we were going mum had rented um a villa in the south of Spain that belonged to a British family we were all artists and they used to go out there and just paint and when they weren't in the UK so they had it it was free for a few months and again really basic there was I think barely any electricity and um it was really remote but we um we just what we did was um Jim my mum's partner he he's a musician and at the time he just had a, a good contract with Warner Brothers so as a gift to himself he bought himself an Alfa Romeo spider so <laughs> so we got the ferry to um oh the north of Spain where is it um anyway the big port in the north of Spain and we drove all the way through Spain through the center past Madrid down to Andalusia to this big farmhouse and um, we didn't know if we were going to stay there but we kind of just set up home for a few months to see what it was like 
eventually realised it was just a bit too rural. We finally drove up to Barcelona in, must have been the autumn of 92, so it was just after the Olympics, just kind of started a life. And it was, it's, it's so different to how things work now. And like, mum didn't have a job. She just was like, oh, I'll just figure out how to make some money. She didn't speak any Spanish. None of, none of us spoke any Spanish or any Catalan. It was a pure just kind of leap of faith. We ended up staying there. Well, I lived there till I was 18. And um, so you went to school then in Barcelona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was really important to mum that I went to a local school, that I didn't go to an international school. She mm. really wanted me to be integrated in, in like, yeah, in the culture. And it's like, well, if we're going to be here, you might as well actually integrate rather than being separate. And I really hate the expression expat because it's, you know, we were immigrants immigrants and but it's there's that level of privilege with that term isn't there and um and how did you feel about going to a local school not speaking spanish absolutely terrified <laughs> absolutely terrified um and i wasn't a particularly outgoing child um i just loved reading and drawing that's what i love doing um so the thought of being in a class full of people that i didn't understand was so daunting but it's incredible what kids do i just just did it I just did it and just picked up, picked up the language, picked up Spanish and Catalan. So did um, you, um, over the, so you were there from about around the age of nine to 18? Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the time you were 18 and left, did you feel, did you have a sense of belonging? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been thinking about it because when you sent over the questions, it's because it's something that I think about a lot. And it's something that I, I get quite emotional about because it's so kind of layered and complex because while I was there, I always really missed the UK. It still felt like a really strong part of my identity. And I think a lot of that is also because of the books I was reading. I was reading a lot of English literature and it was kind of like, I felt this kind of heritage that, uh, that I could identify with, even though I didn't really know it. And I, I wanted to know more about it and I wanted to feel connected to it. Um, and I did always feel a bit, a bit other, um, and even just down to things like people would pass comment so often on my pale skin, like when you're going to get a tan, you're so pale and I had blonde eyelashes and, and it just, it, you know, just anything that draws attraction at that age, when you're feeling particularly self-conscious, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of, you just feel a bit like a bit on the outside and it, it wasn't in a negative way, but it was just, it was just a kind of a regular commentary on, on what I look like and um and i also realized that i still really identified with um british sense of humor the dryness the sarcasm which is quite different to catalan spanish sense of humor so there was i did still feel a kind of like cultural clash in some ways mm. but what i didn't realize because now looking back is actually how much of my life there also really formed me um and i was adopting elements of the culture that I didn't, I didn't even realize. Um, and I was, and I was like, I was fluent, completely fluent in Spanish and Catalan and English. And I would dream in all, all different, three different languages equally. Wow. Yeah. So it was, and I think it's because I learned them from such a young age. Mm -hmm. And then I, and just things like, for example, this stuff that I don't know how to say in English and I can only think of how to say that in Spanish or in Catalan. Like, and there's an element of frustration with that, that I can't, it's like, I, I want to tell you something, but I, I can't tell you in English. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, I, it kind of felt like quite, I felt quite dual, I think, by the end. And yeah. my mum, my mum um, is Scottish South African. She, 
she was born in South Africa, but her family's Scottish. Um, and her partner, Jim, he's um, West Indies, but born, born and bred in London. His family, uh, um, West Indian, Wind, Windrush era. Um, so we had, we had a very kind of like British home life and we always spoke English at home. Um, but it was informed by other, by other cultures as well, I guess, and experiences. Um, but the reason I left Barcelona when I was 18 was like, it was a mixture of things. I, um, I wanted to leave home. I wanted to leave home. I needed to separate from my mum. We were very close and I just really felt like, okay, I really need some space to grow. Um, and also the muggings in Barcelona were like really bad at that time. Um, cause it was a huge, huge, I think basically EasyJet, EasyJet happened to Barcelona. And so it was just tourism, just hordes and hordes of tourists. And because I looked like a tourist, because I, I, I was fair and, um, just, yeah, looked different. Um, people often thought that I was, so I would, every time I'd leave the house, I'd make sure I was wearing trainers and I had my purse in my bra so that I didn't have anything that anyone could yank off of me. Mm. Um, I, you know, I can see that there's a difference here. So I just said, okay, well, I'll go, I'll give the UK a, a chance. And by this point, my, my mom and Jim, her partner had split up and he'd moved back to the UK to Manchester. Um, and I'd been to Manchester a couple of times, didn't really know, but it was like, it was somewhere to go. He had a spare room. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just kind of chose Manchester thinking that other stuff would happen and then ended up interspersed with other times and other, like we went to John and I moved to the South of France for a bit and we tried living in Spain for a bit, but staying in Manchester for 15 years, just because it was such a brilliant city to live in. So yeah, that's kind of like, that's the overview. <laughs> amazing. It's an amazing um, story, all, all these different places and experiences. Um, and did you meet John, your partner in Manchester then? Yeah, yeah, we met there. Um, we we were kind of in similar groups of friends. We knew each other when we were both as different partners. And then eventually we both found ourselves single one one evening and bumped into each other at, um, at a gig. And I must've been 24. Um, I think I was at drama school by that point. Um, I cause, Because I'd, um, I'd had to start, I'd, I didn't know whether I wanted to do English literature or art school or drama school because most of my family are artists and writers. I thought, right, well, I'm gonna do drama. That will be my thing. Um, and so John and I, very quickly moved in with each other because we both found a very fast um, kind of meeting of the minds when it came to entertaining and cooking. Mm. And from the moment he we started seeing each other, like I, I'd always had loads of parties and dinner parties and cooked, cooked and just kind of brought people together. And we just fitted so well, it just seemed so right. It's like, well, we might as well just move in together and we can just carry on doing it even more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's always been a really big part of just how we co coexist and live together really mm. um uh but then after a couple of years i think i i was starting to get really itchy feet and i was finding really feeling really frustrated with acting world and everything and john had grown up all his life in the midlands um and hadn't really experienced living anywhere somewhere other than the uk so we without any money at all we just had the 500 pound deposit from our flat we bought a one-way ticket to the south of france and went woofing you know um what's it stand for worldwide Farm. opportunities yeah. on organic farms that's it yeah. you go and you you work for bed and board 
And we just thought, we'll just figure it out. What we'll do is we'll go over there. We won't have to pay rent because we'll be working in exchange for bed and board. And we'll just get a sense of where we maybe want to be mm. and maybe find a way of settling there for a while. It doesn't have to be forever, but for a while. Um, and we were incredibly, incredibly lucky with all the places that we went to. And it was something that we were both really passionate about environmentally and growing and um, again, like being outdoors and being dynamic and physical um, and experiencing how other people live. And that's that's one of the amazing things about about that is that you get a window into people's home life and to how they cook mm. and to how they mm. how they navigate their day, their rituals, they, they tell you the stories about their family and their life stories. So it's an incredibly valuable experience to have to, to have that access to people's really intimate lives in a way. So you said when you were younger, you when you moved up to Scotland, you loved it for the routine and the stability and you craved that. And when you then were moved back to London, that felt difficult. Yeah. Um, so as a child, you wanted stability. And then as an adult, the way you've d- described having itchy feet. Yeah. Did did you lose that sense of wanting one stable base as you yeah. grew up? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's been really it was interesting kind of looking back because it's like that's what I thought I wanted as a child. But then once I became a teenager, I started to realize, oh, my God, what if there were two things I was most anxious about? I would lie up at night thinking, what if I never get to visit every country in the world? And what (laughs) if I never get to read every book that's ever been written? (laughs) I'm still deeply anxious about this, but you know, I think I need to face reality. <laughs> um, so, so you went to France and then you came back to the UK and did you settle where you are now? Yeah. So what so what happened in France is we ended up staying there for a couple of years and finding a base and and setting up a business and living with this amazing couple. Um and we really wanted to stay there. We really loved it. Um but just several things happened. And I was also starting to feel like I am actually really missing acting and I am missing a kind of a part because it was very in France, it was very, it was very physical. And, you know, and we were hosting, we were running like um, these wild weekends, hosting people and feeding them and taking them out on walks. And that fulfilled a huge part of what I love. But I was missing, I was missing the kind of the social side, the, the my groups of friends and the whole theatre scene. And I guess it's just a different part of my creativity that I wasn't able to to access there really so we came back to the uk uh, manchester opened its arms to us as it does and um, i got a job as a theater agent finding work for other actors um and it was kind of a way of staying within the industry but not worrying about me finding jobs and i completely mm. fell out of love with the whole acting world and just realizing how little agency you have as an actor um but then i got pregnant first time i got pregnant was with our daughter alma and that was a shock it was a total shock um didn't expect it i was 30 by this point and um but we talked about how we'd like to have kids so i was like okay well let's go let's go ahead let's go with this um and i spoke to my boss and just like okay we'll figure it out um but then at six at the 20 week scan we found out that she had a hole in her heart and she was diagnosed with DeGeorge syndrome and um the likelihood was that well, she, she would definitely, as soon as she was born, she would need to have open heart surgery um, and put into an induced coma for three months. And there was, you know, there's always the possibility that she wouldn't survive that. 
and then also with her digital syndrome she could have there's a whole shopping list of symptoms that she could have had and some of them she you know she might have all of them she might have none of them she might have some it was it's a complete gamble some people like grow I, I we know a young woman with digital syndrome who she hasn't had any of the symptoms at all she's grown up healthily and fine she's living a wonderful life um, but there were several of the symptoms that I other hereditary things in my family that I've experienced and also we had lived in, in the south of France with the family with their daughter with severely severely disabled and we'd seen how much pain she was in and how much pain she was in and how much her parents were grieving um and it, it there were just so many factors we decided look just even with the open heart surgery we decided to have a termination so six months in the womb um I, I gave birth to her and she and they'd they'd um perform the termination basically they inject a, a really fine needle through your stomach into into your womb and into the heart it's quite extraordinary absolutely extraordinary that the precision with which they do it um so we gave so so we so we had Alma and um and then we buried her ashes up on a hill in Glossop and that was one of the things that made me think I don't know if I'll ever be able to leave the north now because my daughter's ashes are buried on the hills in Derbyshire um so that kind of was another thing that kind of rooted us I think to to living in the north and then um about a year after what would have been her due date almost exactly I think it was like the day after um I gave birth to Griffin um our eldest son and um I knew by this point that I wanted to leave my job and I just wanted to focus on being a mum and also kind of exploring my my creativity and, and instead of enabling other people's creativity focusing on like, I want to write, I really want to write and I want to draw and those are the things I want to do. Um, so let's I'll maybe find some space for that in motherhood. So we had Griffin and very quickly realized that however much I loved Manchester, it was very, it was very, where the area we were living was very concrete and I was pounding the streets of the pram and I was just thinking, I don't feel at home here. I don't feel at home here. I need trees. I need expansive skies. I need to feel connected to nature again. And so considering, you know, like with kids, often you just spend so much time outdoors mm. and there's only so many times you can go to the park, you know, just like doing that circuit. Um, so we started looking rurally and, um, and also like Manchester at the time where the prices were at, we, we knew we wouldn't be able to afford to buy where we wanted to live there. So we started looking outwards and John and I had, for years organized uh, monthly rambles this group we had called ramble pie where we would get people from the city and we'd take them out to the countryside and it would generally be a walk to a pub you know and then a drunken stagger back to the station um but it was a, just a kind of like a bit of an injection of 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 rural rural life in the hills and forests um but my main concern about living rurally is knowing how often conservative and white a lot of rural areas are and having lived in Manchester, which is such a diverse city, and there's just so, there's just so many different, the whole world's in Manchester, and the same with London. I still it's one of the things I love about London so much is you can experience elements of the whole world just in, you know in, in one place. Um, but we knew this town, Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire, where we'd come for walks occasionally. Um, there's a really big gay community. It is still very white, but it is possibly more diverse than a lot of rural areas. Um, and very liberal and full of creatives, full of creators who've, who've lived here, who want to have, who want to have a creative community, um, but 
you know want rural lifestyle um lifestyle just access to the hills basically um so we were lucky enough to find a wreck of a house um that needed everything doing to it and we had no money to do anything to it but we just thought we're just gonna have to take our time do it slowly and you know and at least we've got the forest out the back of the house and stuff so so we settled here and it's been it's been six years it's been six years and we've since had another boy elwin and they they love it they really 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 love it um and it is is a really special town there's the the community's amazing and it sounds unexpected but there are elements of it that really remind me of barcelona there's a lot of outdoor life a lot of just street life people just spend a lot of time when it's not pouring with rain or sleet you know which it does a lot because it's a valley but there's elements of community you can't leave the house with bumping into someone and having a chat and and i think also when you're you know when you're a parent at home alone maybe that can be that can be really valuable because it can be so lonely so it can be really valuable i think just to know that there's there's a community outside your door that yeah yeah that's there so so yeah so yeah we're here now and so you found your community you found a place that felt like barcelona it's interesting that so that makes me wonder if Barcelona then still has a sense of home that you wanted to replicate that or that you were pleased that where you moved to Hebden Bridge did yeah 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 definitely yeah and um and do you feel do you have a sense of belonging now where where you live does it does it feel like home do you belong no (laughs) no um some elements of it some elements of it feel like home like when I'm out running when I'm out running and I'm on the top of the on the tops and I'm with the sky that feels like home um but I still feel um Barcelona is my is my home that's that's my home and it's but it's not just Barcelona because I never I never visit anymore because I find it so upsetting to go back there because it's such a different city and it's not the city that I knew that was just infused with so much magic and kind of small moments it's just it's a much more grandiose commercial city now. It was very romantic when I was living there. And and I, I think I was thinking about this earlier before we chatted, I was just thinking, what is it that makes me feel that I'm missing part of my home? And I think it's language. I think it's coexisting internally between three, and at that point it's four languages because I spoke French when I was very young as well. And it's like, I find home in those places. And unless I can speak all of those languages I don't feel whole I don't feel fully connected to myself mm. so living here I there's I know there's one woman I know slightly from Mexico um but you know we only we kind of see each other at the, at the school drop off and like we just have a bit of a chat but we're not close friends and I went to Mexico last autumn to visit my mum because she'd been living there I spent two weeks there I just clicked straight back into talking Spanish and it's different. You know, Mexican Spanish is different to Spanish Spanish. And, um, but, oh my God, I can't like it unlocked something in me. It was really quite powerful. Just like, oh, I'm back. I'm back. And it just, that's why I think, yeah, I think for me home, even though when I was younger, all I wanted was a house, a house with roses around the door and my mom baking pies in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I've since discovered through since moving around so much that actually 
my home is about identifying parts of different cultures and places where I've been and kind of finding that in myself and being able to enjoy that with other people if that makes sense it sounds quite vague it's it's just yeah it's quite profound it's because we all have our our sense of what home means and for some people it will be people and it will be the mother family friends community for some people it's place it's um uh, it's kind of scenic yeah but that for you it's language and and culture and trying to find a way to stay connected to all the different cultures you experience that have become part of you yeah yeah it's quite incredible that's exactly that's exactly it and and I I do feel frustrated living here like however much a wonderful town it is um I do still feel like how did I end up here how did I end up here in a Yorkshire town and I also know how I ended up here because I love the Bronte sisters <laughs> so there's like <laughs> there's a big part of you know that fulfills my romantic notions of a child of Villette and Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights mm. um but I also feel like there's a huge part of me that is cut off and I think that's also why I bring so much of ritual and food into my work and into my writing into my illustrations because I'm trying to trying to carry it I'm trying to live it I'm trying to keep it going I'm trying to access that and still find it in my daily life even if it's you know not going to tapas bar but making tapas at home you know just little things like that let's let's talk about that because I want to talk both about your work and um food and the kitchen and that side of things so your work you are an artist an illustrator and you dress spaces and tables and you sell beautiful homewares um, from your website that you style around your home and photograph. And that's your sort of marketing strategy for yeah. home as the um, shoot, yeah. the set. Um, and I wondered, and you have so many beautiful things, Alma is maximalist. Yeah, (laughs) little spaces and you have these incredible dried flowers and it just it's so such such a romantic home that you live in because it's full of such incredible things is that your way ornaments and objects and artwork is that how you connect with the space that you're living in yeah definitely definitely um I remember the first time I really really learned that about myself was when I moved to Manchester when I was 18 and I lived in this tiny little granny flat at the top of a big beautiful Victorian house in South Manchester and um, I was I mean I've always been obsessed with jumble sales and charity shops but I just loaded up the walls with pictures pictures jewelry hanging interesting clothes I found on the wall and kind of like and records and I, I felt like I was almost trying to kind of build up some kind of identity or sense of who I was with all of these objects around me um, and they reminded me of the things that I loved and, and, and where what I found interesting and it feels a little bit like you know the, um, the old lady in the labyrinth who carries all of these objects on her back which is quite scary um, but I've always identified quite deeply with her because <laughs> I feel like I do carry it. and I would love I would love so much to be I guess at peace enough to not need those things, to not need all the books on my bookshelves, all the records, all of these pieces of things to remind me of who I am or what it is that I love. Um, but I've kind of made my peace with that now. I've made my peace with that. This is how I tell stories. I tell stories with words, I tell stories with drawings, and I tell stories with objects. And I'm telling my story with objects. And 
and also and yeah I guess about creating like little spaces and like when I was a kid I was obsessed with making little um miniature homes for what I hoped would be found by borrowers uh, because it's one of my favorite books so I would find little corners of wherever we lived and set up like a table and chairs which is you know with just found objects with corks or you know tiny pieces of crockery or whatever and I'd try and create these homes for these miniature people that I deeply hoped existed and I still see it when I look like I'm sat in my kitchen now <laughs> and I'm looking around and like there's just all these tiny little scenarios happening whether it be like how I've stacked the plates or the levels of the jars or like I've met a mantelpiece that I tend to change with seasons and moods and there's always little figurines on it and melted wax and plants and dried flowers and yeah it's just kind of I can't I can't stop myself I can't help it I love it Um, and how about so you um still make lovely food with John and you host parties and you sometimes share them on Instagram and I love to see it and you've also run retreats which feel although food it's not a food retreat it feels like it's quite centered on food Um, yeah and you share recipes um so what and and now you've said that what you can't go to a tapas bar necessarily where you live yeah. but you can make tapas in your home yeah. so I'd love to hear about how you create that sense of uh, belonging and, and drawing the different cultures you've experienced um in your kitchen yeah well luckily John is an incredible cook he is very much the cook I am very much the taster and eater <laughs> um but what I am what I am good at is discussing recipes and talking like do you think that would work would that work with that so we spend a lot of time just talking about ingredients and like oh that could work well with that and that could work well with that so john has the patience to actually stand at the cooker and because you do you need focus and you need patience and i'm quite um quite i can be quite um scatty and kind of get distracted quite easily so he he's much better at centering himself so i'll be there talking it through with him and then what I love doing about this is then documenting it, taking photos or writing it down. And we um, we started a kitchen notebook, uh, probably when Griffin was born, I gave it to to John for his, for his birthday or for Father's Day or something. And it's an old French accounts book that hasn't been written in. So every time we, um, we'd come up with a recipe, I'd write it in there. And then eventually this like this, and this recipe was full, this book was full. And not only had I written the recipes in there, I'd written what was happening on that day um who we'd eaten it with uh, mm. which friends had been visiting what the weather was like outside um like this works particularly well with this herbal with that salt so it was a, kind of it was a story of our kitchen over the years um and so through that i started to was like oh this is like this is i can work more with this and i started feeding in illustrations and writing more about it and it is a huge part of our life and it's it's not just the cooking it's also just it's the rituals and seasonality comes into it in a huge way a huge way. and I guess also it's it's easy for, for us to access that because we are in a rural spot and every day just even taking the kids up to school you're passing through the seasons you're passing through the trees and the branches and, and the grass and how they change so then you know I'll forage respectfully of course on the way back home or something and bring stuff into the into the kitchen to put on the table to 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 lay on the table just to kind of remind us of where we're at seasonally and 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 to yeah to bring the inside the outside in and 
and feel in, t- in tune with it because especially especially during winter you can feel so disconnected from the outdoors and you know life can become quite a lot smaller um and so with cooking we do eat a lot of probably a lot of mediterranean influenced food um generally vegetarian i find it really difficult to let go of tree though <laughs> um and i like morally i'm a vegetarian but culturally i still have spanish habits and catalan habits for eating and they're kind of like my comforts so it's really it is difficult for me to let go of that um i'm working on it but then you know i mean it's not like seafood or cheese and cheese are any better you know there's the politics of food that i think about a lot but then there's i don't know i think you can kind of find a fine balance of what what you need emotionally as well as what you might believe politically environmentally about food Mm. Um, but we, you know, we try and eat as much ve- plant-based vegetables and seasonally as, as we can. Um, and we try and like, for example, with the kids, they just like corn nuggets, fish fingers, frozen peas, don't even boil the peas, just fr- fr- freeze them. And I, and I try and respect that. I really try and respect that because I remember that when I was a kid, I just loved plain spaghetti. Um, but now I, like, I can't get enough of spicy food, really strong flavors. And you just kind of have to go through that journey on your own, really. And I think if you're exposed to it, then you'll find your way to, you know, to what it is that you love eating. But what we do try to really show them is like, this is how, the, you know, we put all the food out and we make, we make a real ritual of it. You know, we make sure that every piece of crockery that we have is something that we love, something beautiful. But you know, it doesn't mean like pristine, like all of our crockery is chipped and old. But for me, every single piece tells a story. Everything is something that I remember picking up or I like different plates for eating different things off. And you know, I think all of those things matter as much as the food that you eat. Mm. Um, and, and we create rituals around the kitchen table and it's about, okay, we lay all the food out and you can help yourself and we light candles. And on Sundays we have wish candles um where we got into a habit during lockdown of uh, john had found these really fine long beeswax candles and we placed them in little clay pots and after we'd finished sunday lunch we would sit around light the candles and each of us would make a wish um because it was again a way of you don't just have to make a wish on birthdays and on cake mm. you know you can make them on a sunday afternoon in your kitchen mm. um and so and yeah, it's a big part of our life socially is bringing people into the kitchen and cooking and making people feel relaxed and, and I think there's no formality formality is the death of food I think <laughs> or of enjoying food you know it's not for me at least it's not something that I enjoy I really love being in the kitchen seeing people sat around the table literally like baking bread leaning over each other to pass the salt top up someone's wine glass I just love that's where I'm happiest I get tingles just just thinking about that mm-hmm. and I guess you know what that's probably when I feel home. That's when I feel at home, wherever I am, whether it be in our kitchen, whether it be in someone else's home that I love. If that's the environment that I'm in, I I feel like I'm fulfilling so every part of, of what I love, really. And, that, yeah, that sense of home. Love that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, losing Alma, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Um and that that because her ashes were up north you will never be able to leave the north or at that time felt you couldn't yeah i think at that time i felt that way um but as years have passed because it was it was about eight years ago it was the first of december that she died um so yeah it was about eight years ago 
and I'm still I still grieve I'm still grieving John's still grieving and we still have moment kind of like bursts of grief that come unexpectedly and it's something we're still really processing I think also having to make that decision about a baby's life um I don't know if you ever really get over that um but I also I also would like the kids to have a different experience of of living somewhere else and we've talked a lot and like at the moment we're actually kind of questioning whether we need to think about maybe moving to a slightly bigger house if we can afford it if like logistically we could do it within this area or elsewhere um and part of me is like well why would we you know why would we leave Hebden Bridge it's such a great community the kids are really happy here we've got amazing friends um you know why would we uproot everything um and yeah and we're close to Alma uh but at the same time we I don't feel that we could just stay in the north just just because of that you know the, I want the kids lives to be bigger and I want them to have experiences but I think what, what I I think from what we've spoken about that we there's more of a chance that we would find a happy medium of having a base here um and then going away for maybe like a couple of months at a time taking mm. the kids out of school homeschooling allowing maybe some kind of flexibility and freedom and that but that also depends on work and you know where we're at with work and all these you know sorts of things can I ask, how do you feel? So if, so if mm. you and John agree um, to do that, you have mm. a baby there, but you take the kids out, and I love the sound of that homeschooling for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, because of all the changes you went through, all the moves you made as a child, does that make you feel more relaxed about taking them out of school for a few months each year or whatever it might be, or less relaxed? I think the reason I feel that that would be more doable is because I remember how anxious I was as a kid um, and how upset I was when we uprooted and left London because I just got, you know, I found leaving Scotland really difficult and then, you know, living, getting used to London and then I just really got used to living in London and then it's like, okay, we're going to uproot again. Um, so, and I just, I remember feeling very, very lonely and I remember just wishing that I could have friendships for longer and I was talking to John about this earlier saying I wonder if one of the reasons I fall so fast and hard with friendships like I'm very I've become really adept at making friends very quickly and kind of Mm. all in and you'll know everything about me and I want to know everything about you and I was like it can be a bit intense you know but I was looking back and saying I wonder how much of that is because I never knew how much time I had making Mm. friends growing up and I was just like if I want to make friends, if I want to not, not be on my own, then I've got to act fast. Um, and I, you know, and there's a pressure, there's a certain pressure that goes with that and that you put yourself under. And I, and I know my kids and especially my eldest Griffin, you know, he's, he's really sensitive and he takes quite a while to get to know people. And even he's just started the new school and he was saying, oh, my other friends, they've made, they've made loads more friends than I have. And I think I've made one and I'm just taking it slowly and I was like, oh, no, that, that is beautiful. That is so beautiful that you are taking your time when people have different ways of making friendships. And so I feel cautious. I, I want them to have the, the big experiences. I want them to know that home can be, you know, several different places. It doesn't have to be the one place where you grew up all your life. But I also don't want to put them under the pressure and the anxiety that I did I did feel as a kid. Um, and, and but, the, you know, that's when, like, I don't know how much of that is about what's good or not good for a child and just also like who I was as a kid you know my temperament I was very sensitive and quite quiet 
um, and had to really push myself and had to really come out of myself to 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 be able to kind of exist in in all these different new situations all the time mm. it, it did also make me pretty good at um just kind of reveling in my own company and it's like well if I've not got any friends at the moment I'll just have to be my friend um and my books are my friends and writing and drawing is my friends so you know it makes you self-sufficient I guess in other ways as well mm. That's yeah. so interesting because I didn't, I moved house once, but still within London and only really up the road. Mm. And I always remember as a child wishing that we could be one of those families like yours that yeah. lived in different places and traveled. And I felt like it was really boring that we were just always in London. Um, and it's, and I can see from both sides, I can see why that was difficult for you. And I can also see how it's made you who you are with all these incredible experiences and languages and foods. Yeah. 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 That's, and that's exactly, I think what I was saying at the beginning is that I can't say woe is me about that at all. It was, it was incredible. And it was incredible. My mum gave that to me and that she could see beyond okay you might be feeling discomfort now but what you're going to experience is going to is going to open up your life and is going to open open you up in many ways and you know and there's probably stuff that I learned about myself that I might have never experienced or learned about myself if we had stayed in one place and vice versa you know there's other experiences that I will never know because we didn't stay in one place and Mm. are really beautiful and really valuable and, and I think sometimes do give people maybe a more a sense of being more whole I don't know I can't project I don't know but I do feel really lucky I do feel really lucky because I do find a lot of joy and a lot of joy in in having these different cultural experiences and these different dimensions to me that you know on the outside I do just look like a very very British woman um but there's yeah there's these other other parts of me like I was saying like I I exist in different languages Mm. that you know that are my homes as well um my last question is around um family as in you've got your family that you live with but you've got your mum you have a brother yeah yeah I have a brother so we um he his dad is Jim who brought me up for most of my life um and yeah we all live very separately Mm. um mum mum basically when Zach is 10 years younger than me and when he left home to go to uni in Norwich, mum gave up her flat. She gave up all of her belongings, everything, and bought a one-way ticket to India. Um, and I think was she there for about a year or so? And then through that, she ended up she ended up travelling for about 10, 11, 12 years. Um, yeah, because Zahir's going to be 30 now. And yeah, so it's been about 10 years. So she went to India. Then she went to Thailand, then she went to Japan, then she ended up teaching in China for a year. Um, Then she went to India again, and then she came back to the UK briefly. And then um, just before lockdown happened, she went to Brazil to visit her sister for a couple of months and got uh, got stuck there. And then so stayed there for a year or so, and then ended up going to Mexico and living there for a while. She's now back in the UK living in Scotland with, with family. Um, and trying to decide, well, where do I want to live? Do I want to stay in the UK or do I want to just carry on traveling? And she's she's like that. She doesn't, she's she's, she's also an interior designer. So she will create spaces wherever she is, mm. but she cannot stay in one place. She feels really claustrophobic. 
So I think she really needs to travel and move, otherwise she becomes stagnant. For your mum, homes, it sounds like home is sort of very regular movement. When you're together with your mum and Zach or um, if you Jim, who obviously was a a big part of your life, is there a sense of home around that part of your family? Yeah, yeah, there is actually. That's again, and that's what we do when we come together, we cook. We come together and we cook and we just yeah just cook and talk around the kitchen table and that's very and that's always been what we wherever we lived wherever we lived with my mum our house was always full of people but people just pop over at lunchtime and we'd have a full table Christmas was always waifs and strays in the house and food was a huge part of it you know what dishes people were bringing and celebration so it was it was like that was the that was the center that's what we would all come back to for, to, for celebration that's what I feel when I'm with when I'm with Zahir and my mum is that feels like home it doesn't matter where we are whether we're in Scotland whether we're here in Hebden we somehow find that yeah that home together doing that our favorite thing thank you so much to Java for sharing so openly what a fascinating story if you would like more from Java you can follow her on Instagram at Java Beret you can visit her website and you can also listen to her brilliant podcast all linked in the show notes thank you and goodbye <laughs>